The Athletic. The only way to score is, of course, to play uh, with a handbrake off. Hello, I'm Ian Stone. This is Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Uh, we're recording this on the Monday morning after the lovely Sunday afternoon down by the river that Arsenal had yesterday as they beat Fulham 3-0. Uh, essentially the polar opposite of what we all went through the weekend before last. And we'll cover uh, the game as well as talking about Mikel Arteta. A hundred wins for the boss. Pretty quick as well. Uh our guests this morning, Adrian Clark and James McNicholas. Hello, guys. Hello. Hello. What a great morning it is. What a lovely morning it is. It's. I mean, most mornings at the moment are pretty good, aren't they? Let's be fair. I was. I just been talking to a Brentford fan, and he said, "I've forgotten what it was like to lose, and it's not very nice." And I thought, "Yeah, we've had that, but we've we've they've done it. They did. They had like a run of eleven or something. We've done fives, haven't we? Fives or sixes, and then we have a little blip." Uh, but it seems to be going quite nicely. We were going to, uh, there was a picture, by the way, that the boys published after they won on Sunday of them all with a clock. None of us could quite work out what it was about. Does anyone anyone have any clues, by the way? No? No idea as yet. The sanctity of the dressing room has been uh, preserved until now. So, Except with a big picture of it. Obviously, the picture, me. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, the sanctity with that massive picture when everyone's in it. That oh, what a what a what a sanctuary it is. I mean, uh, fair enough. We don't know what it's about. But anyway, five we were... to two. I mean, five to two is is the moment they would have left the dressing room. Okay, yeah. so that's my that's my thought process. Something about you know coming back in it. Well, yeah, this is when you're leaving the dressing room. When you come back in, we want the feeling to be good. I don't know what I don't know what it could have been, but I think. That that's what makes more sense to me than the other theory that's going around in that eleven games to go, two months to go. Yeah, I don't, I don't buy that. <laughs> I don't no. buy that at all. I don't no, buy that at all. That that, that that doesn't belong. Clocks don't go backwards. It's not. Yeah, it's not about that. Um, but I think it's to do with five to two and when they leave the dressing room when they left it. But I don't know what the message was. And, uh, and I think bringing a little bit of home with them away, you know, that is, that's the clock end clock, right? Not the exact one. Hopefully they didn't take it down for no, this game. But no. yeah, that bit of familiarity away from home. But perhaps we'll find out. It might be one of those things. I can imagine it being in like a, an athletic long read at the end of the season after the title is won. <laughs> what did the clock mean? It'll be a bullet point on Twitter at some point in time. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> listen, we all, I mean, we were talking about memorabilia. We wondered what, what bit of memorabilia, Arsenal memorabilia, would you celebrate with after a win? I mean, a win away at Fulham or any win, really. Adrian, have you got any bits and pieces from your time at the club? Yeah, a few bits and pieces. Yeah, I've got a, I've got a sort of cut glass, um, <sighs> glass <laughs> commemorating. Cut glass, glass. That is commemor- how much glass is that? That's commemorating. A glass. I think one of the one of our trophy successes. I can't remember, but the one that really stands out for me is from a program, a show I used to do on Arsenal's uh, Arsenal.com called The Clock End, which, which obviously ties in nicely. It was a fans phone-in show, which was great at the time. We had Amy on it. I don't think James ever came on it. Or, or St- Stoney, no. I don't, you might have come on as a, as a, one of our celeb goon guests. No, 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 no. You I might have done. Yeah. You might have done that. But it was, it was a fun show until we started to really 
get toxic as a club <laughs> by oh, which no. point yeah. by which point <laughs> the, the the premise of a fans phoning uh, at Arsenal suddenly went out of the window uh, but Amy came on and was was my studio guest many times we used to give away basically a clock end mug to the best caller I, I obviously hoover, hoovered up a couple um myself yeah and i've still got it i still drink out of it so i'll, I'll save my clock in mug i'll fill it with champagne um if and when we we win the big one at the end of the season <laughs> May the uh, okay can you just hear amy going trucka 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 adrian <laughs> uh, and we'll get to that by the way because the boys because the fans were singing we're going to win the league and i want to ask you about that but not just yet um james are you into memorabilia have you got any bits and pieces i've got a couple of bits and bobs signed shirts and things like that Actually, there's something I always wanted and I never got, which is that when we left Highbury, I wanted to buy some of the turf. Do you remember they sold off the pitch in chunks? But I was 20 at the time. I was a student. I had no fixed (laughs) abode and nowhere to to put my Highbury turf, so I didn't get any. (laughs) But I'm jealous. I think my cousin still got his. It's sort of... It's a jungle now. Oh, right. Okay. It's grown as turf (laughs) is wont to do. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, that's nice. Yeah, no, I see. I was never... I remember when we left Highbury and I remember the last day and I thought, should I sort of take a sign or something or something like that? But I thought, I can't do that. And I'm not too bothered. If I had a bit of... um, I mean, I suppose my seat would be nice, really. I might have it in the office. I'd have a seat mm. where I used to sit uh, at um, uh, at Highbury, um, or maybe even now at the Emirates. Maybe at some point, maybe. Uh, Comfier at the Emirates. Comfier, yeah, 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 yeah. It was very plastic, uh, <laughs> basic thing at, uh, at Highbury. But it obviously, uh, you know, that saw a lot of um, a lot of excitement. I left it many times to celebrate with the boys. So maybe that would um, maybe that would be the thing. Um, I've got one of those clocks, by the way, in in my office, which I've been kicked out of um, by my son who's staying at the moment. But I've got I've got a clock end clock. I think I got it from the uh, is it the She War shop um, online um, oh. a while back. So yeah, got a little little taste of uh, of Highbury and Emirates here as well. It's about yeah, the only thing I'm allowed to put up, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> well, your son's kicking you out of the office. Your missus going, we're not having that in the lounge. Yeah, um, but yeah, that's that's how it goes. But listen, we're all we're all feeling very very close to the club, and at some point we'll find out what the clock meant, or maybe we won't. Maybe it'll become like an urban. Legend, uh, perhaps. (laughs) Legend seems a strong word, really. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Side on the overlap again. Picking out Martin Adegaard for a third. And the Arsenal captain couldn't pass on the opportunity. The third assist for Leandro Trossard. As I said, a lovely afternoon down the river. We tonk Fulham 3 0. Goals from Gabriel. Gabriel Martinelli and Martin Odegaard. And to complete the Gooners' joy, uh, Gabriel Jesus came on in the 77th minute. Um, let's start with Leandro Trossard, uh, hat-trick of assists. Um, I mean, we've mentioned this before. James, I mean, plan B, 
It's it's so much more than a plan B. I mean, if he was a plan A, it'd be working out really well. But the fact that we didn't, he wasn't even the first place we went. I mean, he could be the January signing of the season. I think you actually said that in your piece, didn't you? He's, but he'd be up there, wouldn't he, in terms of the contribution that he's made. He's been fantastic. And it is one of those things where so, sometimes things go for you a little bit. And had Arsenal signed Mudrick, who knows what he would have contributed. But Trossard's come in, and because of his Premier League experience, and because I think he's a really tactically intelligent player, he is just immediately fit into this side and he looks every bit an Arsenal player. He looks like he's been playing for them for, for years. His contribution at Fulham was fantastic and I think that was a big moment for me actually in this game was seeing that team sheet with his name on it. It made a difference because you know suddenly you look at the depth and the quality that we have in attack. The Jesus back, with Trossard back, Eddie and Ketia still to come back as well. It makes you feel a lot better about things. But I thought he was brilliant at Fulham. The combination play... He seems to have a brilliant on-field relationship with so many players already. Martin Odegaard, Granite Xhaka, Gabriel Martinelli. You know, his intuition to sort of understand where he needs to be to receive the passes, to find the pockets of space that give Fulham problems, that give the opposition problems. And his close control in tight spaces is immaculate. So I've been thoroughly impressed with him. He's exceeded my expectations. And yeah, the signing so far has worked wonders. It has. Um, just a moment to appreciate that little one-two with Granite Xhaka, with Granite's dummy, and that perfectly weighted pass. And Granite, mm-hmm. I'm sure he'll lose a bit of sleep over the touch he had, just giving it back <laughs> to Bert Leno. But what a beautiful bit of football. And I love that sort of intuition that players have between them. Adrian, mm-hmm. I mean, the stats, he's the first player in Premier League history. This is a ridiculous stat, but I'm going to say mm. it anyway, uh, to assist three goals before halftime in an away match, right? Mm. It, all, it all seems a bit specific, but there you go. More mm. assists in this game than Alexander-Arnold has had all season. Mm. And um, Henrik Mkhitaryan was the last player to get a hat-trick of assists in the Premier League for Arsenal in 2018. And only Saka and Kevin De Bruyne had more assists than Trossard in the Premier League. I mean... Yeah. It's it's outstanding what he's contributing to this team. Yeah, he's a class player, uh, no doubt about it. it. It should have been a fourth assist in that first half with that that move that you talk, talked about. I mean, Granite Xhaka, he's got to hit it, hasn't he? It's it's mm. a it's a smooth finish. But it was on his right foot, wasn't it? Yeah, you just got to pass it into the net. Even on your weaker foot, you can make a pass, and I, I think he would have scored. So yeah, it was. I mean, it didn't matter ultimately, but it was a little bit annoying that that we didn't get that goal. Um, it, yeah, he was tremendous. I'd, I'd echo James's thoughts on his all-round play. Just linked, knitted everything together beautifully. And what I found really interesting, I sort of looked at I looked at his chalkboard just before we started this podcast because it didn't feel to me as if he spent the game out on the left wing this time around, uh, and he didn't. Those two assist passes in open play, obviously the other one came from a corner. The little dink for Martinelli, which is a beautiful little sandwich cross, wasn't it? That was yeah. that was gorgeous. And the the little pick out for, for Odegaard from the left side of the box, they were actually the only times he touched the ball in that sort of area, 25 yards out from goal on the left. He just didn't occupy those spaces at any other times. He was much more central. And if he did drop wide, it was around the halfway line. So, yeah, he when he did roam into that domain, he, he made the difference. It, yeah, it was he was a clear man of the match in a contest where everybody was at least an 8 out of 10. That's how good Trossard was. 
Yeah, they all played very well. There was one point, James, when Trossard, we were having the first 10 minutes, we were having difficulty working out how to get through the Fulham press. They were they were pushing quite high up. And then Trossard dropped back to about halfway back in his own half in a central position and exchanged passes. And suddenly we, we moved up the pitch. I mean, he's not the same as Gabriel Jesus, but he has the same attributes, doesn't he? Or a lot of them. I think he's the closest thing Arsenal have got. Which is funny because you know he's quite a different player. But if you're looking for someone to emulate what Jesus brings, the flexibility, the fluidity, the work rate as well, I think that's a, a probably one of the underappreciated aspects of Trossard's game is that he covers a lot of ground. He presses very well. He's quick as well. So yeah, I think he's he's the closest match if we're trying to replicate that playing style. And I think you make a good point about the first five minutes because it was interesting. Fulham set up and. You know, they're a very well-coached team. They had a good shape to them. And it was almost as if Arsenal were just kind of feeling them out, yeah. trying to find where those opportunities and overloads were in that early period. And then they began very slowly to just take control of the game. And once they had it, some of the football they played was beautiful. And for me, it was the composure that they showed in situations, often in their own half, you know, when, when the press was there. I mean, the second goal is the prime example but I think they managed to draw half the Fulham team effectively into one corner of the pitch with just a sequence of passes in their own territory and then they spread the ball out through Saliba and they're away and Arsenal were just so so good in those situations yesterday you know you think back to a few years ago the nerves we felt watching Arsenal play out from the back wondering what is this all worth it how far they've come since then yeah, they were very, very, very impressive at Craven Cottage. Yeah, and I think, Adrian, James talking about the way that we were nervous when um, when they were playing out from the back. I remember Petr Cech almost putting one in his own net a few years ago, trying to pass the ball across. But I think, do you think the crowd has to take a little bit of credit as well that we've, I mean, in the end, Mikel Arteta basically said, this is the way we're going to play. And we're gonna, and there are gonna be mistakes, and you're just gonna have to lump it. And we've gone okay because we've seen the results. And now people don't get nervous, do they? We trust the boys. Yeah, no, the fans don't deserve any credit at all. It's, it's, it's <laughs> I the thought players. I'd just try and uh, the players are great, but but when you see what's going on at them lot down the road, right, and how the crowd get yeah. on their back, our yeah. crowd do not get on the players' back. Ooh. If they make mistakes, we go. Don't worry about it. If I, we I played, mean, if we played Dale, football as badly as Spurs did and as ugly as but Spurs did, Aaron Ramsdale. <laughs> You know, he made a bit of a balls up in the first half. He gave it to Pereira, I think it was. And he put it over the bar. The fans yeah. were singing his name two seconds yeah. later. That yeah. stuff is not insignificant. No, no. No, the fans have been sensational. I think we're doing great. I, no, I exactly. <laughs> Pat ourselves on the back. The, Arteta has created this, hasn't he? Because he's, he's built a back four and a goalkeeper that, that, that love the ball and that are absolutely press resistant. Ben White was one of the most comfortable ball-playing defenders in English football when we signed him. I'm telling you, it, just because he played for Brighton doesn't mean that he wasn't already one of the most comfortable players with the ball at his feet across the divisions. I watched a lot of him at Leeds in the Championship. He was outrageously good. And so so that's why he was signed. William Saliba was was signed, obviously, um, a while back, but but someone that was a ball playing centre half. Gabriel is exactly the same, and Zinchenko is the ultimate Arteta press resistant signing, isn't he? Because he's 
he's someone that you can put you can put four players on him and he'll still thread the pass between them to to get us out of jail. So yeah, this is all part of part of Arteta's plan and and that goal with the Saliba switch pass was great. Just very quickly, just to explain why Xhaka was so free for for that breakaway. We did this at Leicester. It's so clever. So we sort of draw draw teams onto one side, and when Zinchenko comes infield, he takes the right winger effectively into central midfield. Now all of the other midfielders have gone to squeeze the ball, and basically Granit Xhaka just back backs off, back pedals into a, an area of huge space. Why is the right back not with him? Because Leandro Trossard stands on the right back. So basically, we create a two v one that's nowhere near the ball, and then we switch it. And, and and you saw exactly what happened with with um, with Granite Xhaka, but it a lot of it owes it owes plenty to Zinchenko dragging his man in to create room for Granite Xhaka, and uh, yeah, that was a that was a sensational counter attacking goal. Twenty three, according to Jordan Campbell, who wrote a piece on the website, um, twenty three passes. I I counted them. I thought it was twenty five, but it might. I don't know. It depends how you view it, but a lot of passes. Saliba's pass out. Not a difficult pass, you know, 30, 40-yard pass. And obviously, Granite is in acres of space. But, James, the belief running through the team. I mean, we were chatting just before we came on air, and you said Fulham were terrible, and they were. But I felt they lost heart a little bit. Because, like I say, for the first 10, 15 minutes, they did contain us. And then we started to open up, and I just thought they couldn't live with us. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean... I think João Palinha was just a massive loss for them and it is a massive loss for them whenever he's out the side. They don't really have anyone who can replicate his ability to kind of win the ball in midfield and give them some structure in that area of the pitch. Sometimes unfairly though, uh, it must be said because he's had 10 bookings. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, he's yeah. Very, yeah, I mean, listen, he's earned his suspension. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. But Arsenal still got to do what they did and, and I think you're right. Arsenal did sap the confidence from Fulham in that first half with their control of possession, uh, the speed at which they move the ball, the accuracy. You say that Saliba pass, it's not a difficult pass, but I don't know too many centre-halves who practically inside their own penalty box would switch it onto their wrong foot and play it 30 yards out to the other side of the pitch. You've got to have the confidence to do that. You've got to have the poise and the composure. Well, we know he's got the confidence because we saw him step inside a midfielder and try and rifle one in the top corner. Good strike, wasn't it? It's a beautiful strike and it just shows you the confidence of the man. What I like about Saliba, White, Zinchenko, even Gabriel, is that it's not just that they're good in possession. They really are prepared to commit the opposition before they release the ball. And that's so integral to what Arteta's doing. There's no point just passively knocking it about. It's about taking other players out of the game. And I think there was a real swagger about the way Arsenal did that yesterday. And Saliba at times exemplifies it because, you know, how no matter how pressed he is, no matter how many opposition around him, he just seems to have the coolest head in the ground. So, so calm. I know we've talked about strength in depth many times, but we actually had an illustration of it yesterday. The bench had Gabriel Jesus, Emil Smith-Rowe, Jorginho, Fabio Vieira and Reese Nelson, you know, attacking players all on the bench, all of whom we'd be happy to see in the team when they're playing well. I mean, Adrian 
We we do have a, a squad now, don't we? And by the way, Eddie's still to come back and Flo Balligan, top scorer in Liga, is possibly coming back next year. Next year. For sure, yeah. I mentioned this on the on the, the show that I did the breakdown live. I said that ahead of kickoff. I said, look what look at the options that, that we've got if if it's not working or if in the second half we want to rotate people. You know, the two Jorginho didn't get on. Emil Smith Rowe didn't get on. This is this is the level that that we're at now. I, you know, I still don't think that we have the same depth as some of our rivals at the top of top of the table. But that's not to say that we should should be upset with what we've got because they they are good enough to make a difference. And uh, it's also Adrian. It's also about managing the players you've got and keeping everyone happy. And you know, obviously, you can have another three or four world class players, but there's going to be quite a lot of them not playing every week. And you know, you've been in dressing rooms and people are not playing. It it can't be easy. That is the genius of the plan and, the, and, and of the way that the squad has been constructed. He stripped it back, didn't he? He inherited a, such a bloated squad full of players either in their 30s or approaching their 30s on massive money that all thought that they should play. And and in truth, not that many of them were earning their were earning their coin. No. Um, so he started again and, you know, he's got a limited number of senior players now and the rest are young, hungry p- people on the way up that are desperate to be part of Mikel Arteta's revolution. And it's, yeah, it's driving up standards so, so brilliantly. And it was a great performance. I thought, I thought that first half we purred like no other Arsenal team really has purred since, since you know when, really, you know, going back to 2004. I think the way that we're slicing teams apart, the way that we're built, constructing our attacks at pace to find spare men, to just really rip opponents apart on on our travels, it reminds me of that team. It does. I'm not saying we're as good as that team yet, but it's reminiscent. And it's getting there, isn't it? Yeah, it's getting it is there. getting there. Um, I, yeah. I have been informed by Abby, our producer, that Flo Balligan is no longer the top scorer in league out uh, still a decent addition to the bench when he comes back yeah and the other the other thing we shouldn't ignore is the strength well, we don't ignore it because we always talk about Thomas Partey but the strength of him and the power of him is obviously reminiscent of, of Vieira of Gilberto oh, yeah. and again for that third goal yeah, who is it that breaks up play it's yeah. it's Thomas Partey he steams in makes the interception and from there uh, Trossard picks out Odegaard and, and we score a great goal. It doesn't happen without that that enforcer in the inside the engine room. I think that's a great point. For me, this Arsenal team have three traits that are often hallmarks of really strong teams. So one is that athleticism and that power, which I think probably we don't talk about it enough in this Arsenal team. But when you look at that central spine, you know, Gabriel, Saliba, Thomas Partey. You add Gabriel Jesus to that as well, who's a physical force on the pitch. Then there's the technical level, which 1 to 11 is really strong. The ability on the ball. And I think the third aspect is football IQ, football intelligence. Because Mikel Arteta has, you know, he's imposed quite a, a nuanced, complex plan upon this team. And they've taken to it relatively quickly. And I think they're the sort of three core traits among the squad that have got Arsenal to this position. And I suspect going forward, when Arsenal look at players they want to sign, those will be the core traits under discussion. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you see, it's funny because we were talking, I was talking with someone at the weekend and saying how easily 
Trossard and Jorginho have sort of fitted into the group. And that is partly because they obviously have some of those traits in terms mm-hmm. of depending on what position. But they understand what we're meant to do. It's what we were talking about just before, Adrian, this football intelligence. Jorginho is a player that uh, that Mikel Arteta has talked about as having that football intelligence. Yeah, you've got to be open-minded as a footballer. You can't just think, well, this is me as a player. This is This is me. Not anymore. You can't do that now. Look at Pep Guardiola, the way he develops players. He puts new ideas into their head. I think that Mikel Arteta does something very similar. And part of the recruitment, as well as that football IQ, which is clearly of paramount importance, and they've all got it, is adaptability. It's being able to seamlessly switch between positions and not let it influence their their output or contribution level. So, yeah, it's um, they're bright boys. They really are. And, and this was a... A sharp performance, I thought, mentally. Yeah. I thought we were really at it from from the word go. And um, and we thoroughly deserved the win. It, if it had been 5-0 at half-time, Fulham, I think, could not have complained. No. And then in the 77th minute, Gabriel Jesus came on as a substitute. James, you've written a piece about how well Arsenal coped without him when he was injured. Just during the World Cup, Arsenal were five points clear. They still are. He's missed 13 games, only one less than he played. And yet we cope just fine. But his return is such a boost, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, the reception he got was amazing. And, you know, with the game kind of settled, I was in the press box. And I have to be honest, for much of that second half, I was watching Jesus, watching his warm up, waiting for the tracksuit to come off and thinking, are we going to see him? And yeah. He got a cheer as soon as he came on the pitch, cheer as soon as he took his first touch. And he looked himself, I yeah. think. Yeah. You have to say. in terms a great of... chance. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, in every respect. He Which himself. he made brilliantly. Which yeah. he made, Which he that's made right. Yes, that's mark. true. Yeah. Uh, you know, his touch was there. The work rate off the ball was there. The running power. You know, Mikel Arteta said afterwards that Jesus looked him in the eye and said, I'm ready. Oh, yeah, I like that. And I, like that I, I believed him, to be honest. Uh, having seen that performance, he looked sharp and it's a huge lift. I mean, Arsenal showed, you know, what they can do without him for, for most of that game against Fulham. And that was impressive enough. You add a player of that calibre to the mix. It's exciting. It's it really is. exciting. It is. And we've got we, some big, big games coming we're just up. just start him against Sporting now. It's tempting, isn't it? I would. <laughs> would I would, you? would you? Because, because I think Trossard has to start against Palace. I think Trossard right. was so good that he has to keep his place. Martin, Trossard and Martinelli are, are flying together. Saka, Saka. I, I think we can afford to, to bring Jesus off the bench against Palace. I think that's how I would foresee it. In which case, let's start him maybe and give him an hour against Sporting. I wouldn't have said that prior to seeing him, but having watched him like you, ready. I just think he looks so ready. He looks ready. That, that yeah. I think he could tip the balance of that tie in our favour against Sporting, actually, while we give an opportunity to rest one of Trossard or Martinelli. Quite, um, quite. That's what I would do. But but yeah, I'd be interested to see how how the manager sees it and, and you guys. Yeah, I, I think that would be sounds a good idea. If, if Jesus comes through well against Sporting and has a good performance, then what a boost that is for Sunday. Mm. Which, you know, I'll be honest, as much as I try and take it one game at a time, it's very hard to not focus on those Premier League games now, you know. And I'm sure Arteta's working really hard to make sure the focus is there for Sporting. Maybe that's one way 
of helping achieve that, you know, by by putting Jesus in and showing that's a sort of statement of intent really for that tie. It's a good opportunity. And, you know, he's not going away with Brazil, uh, which is a relief, I think, probably, and gives some more time for him to work at Colney. But in terms of actual game time on the pitch, I, I suppose it's as good a time as any. I think the attitude is... At the moment, one game at a time. You can hear, I, I think uh, Leandro Trossard was interviewed after the game and they were talking about five points clear, you know, uh, how does it feel? And he said it feels the same as last week is what it feels like. And I thought, that's, I loved that answer, really. They're not getting ahead of themselves. He's, and it, basically, they're not even just talking about each game at a time. They're talking about each training session. Each day they come in and they work as hard as they can and you can see the results. We've won five on the trot since losing to City. James, I remember you on this podcast after that. That was a tough week. Tough, well, tough 10 days. Everton and then Brentford and then City. And and the heart and character. It's the the third time, by the way, we've won five on the trot this season. But I think this is the hardest five in a sense because of what happened before it. To come back the way they have. Another stat for you. This is from Opta Joe. Arsenal won five consecutive away London derbies while keeping a clean sheet each time. This is the first time this has ever happened by any capital club in Football League history. Adrian, you want to come in? Yeah, that's. I think that's pretty good achievement, to be honest. Yes. London derbies are tough. Yeah. And I think London teams are at a slight disadvantage because there are so many of these derbies. And there is more of an edge to those games. Just a quick one. I on it to w- to win all those games keeping clean sheets is is fabulous not least because look at what happened last season okay no fulham in the equation but those four games we lost 3-0 at spurs we lost 3-0 at palace Ugh. we lost 2-0 at brentford okay we beat chelsea but it was 4-2 so yeah. we, we we conceded 10 goals 10 in goals. Four, 10 goals in four london derbies last season away now it's f- none in five i think that well it's a, it's a sign of how far we've come isn't it yeah, I just was interested to get Adrian's perspective on why the defensive record is so different home and away. Arsenal have got you know this incredible record of clean sheets away from home, but don't seem to get quite so many. Well, they definitely don't get quite so many as the Emirates Stadium. And I find it a bit perplexing. I just wondered if Adrian had given any thoughts on why that might be. It's a tough one. I hadn't really thought of it. It's a really good question. The teams push up on us more um, away from home. I guess they they have to attack a little bit more, and and um, we, because at the Emirates we go very high up the pitch and we can get caught a few times. We even if they don't score, Bournemouth had chances, Brentford had chances. We give away more. It's almost a higher risk game at the Emirates, perhaps. It's, yeah, we're definitely more open, susceptible to counter attacks at home, aren't we? That than we are away from yeah. home. I think there's more of a focus as well on on control, but but not not. Not such a, a risky approach mm. in those away games. You won't yeah. see Ben White, for example, play as advanced as he does in the games at Emirates. Now, why is that? Well, look, in the games at Emirates, everyone puts so many players behind the ball now that you got to, really. you got to create an overload from yeah. somewhere. I think in away games, we're able to create the overloads without putting both our fullbacks in advanced areas. That's, that's an educated guess on the hoof. But yeah, it's a good question. It's a good question. Yeah, sorry to throw it at you. It's a difficult question, but yeah, I think that maybe there may be something in that—the idea of kind of the territory Arsenal occupy at home. You know, they're they're very much in that sort of two-three-five shape, and this is a league where there are a lot of players 
who can hurt you with space to run into. Maybe we suffer more with that at the Emirates when the handbrake is off than we do at home, away from home when we're a bit more... Where, where I think that the, the message away from home is very much control. Yeah. You know, it seems like we exert a lot of control and maybe defensively, it's sort of hard to be tangible about, but there may just be a bit more focus on that aspect of the game. Yeah. Yeah. Give them nothing is the message away. Yeah. At home, it's go out and go out and go give them hell. Yes. <laughs> you know, that, yes, and that, I think that's, that that's a mindset difference, isn't it? And that opens mm. you up to, uh, to, mm. to letting in goals. At the other end of the pitch, of course, it's all going very, very nicely. Uh, only Arsenal and PSG uh, in Europe's top 10 leagues have three different goal scorers in double figures. we got Martinelli, it's got 12, Saka's got 10, and Erdegaard's got 10. PSG have got Mbappe, Neymar and Messi. Decent, decent enough front line. Not that it helped them in the Champions League, but um, Martin Erdegaard getting goals now, Adrian. I mean, he's just turned into just such a splendid footballer, isn't it? I mean, we don't talk about him that much, but what a... The, the, the way he can move his feet. I, I, I haven't seen a player like that very often. No, yeah, he's, he's really got great feet. He had some lovely moments in the game, didn't he? Little nutmegs and, and, and quick feet in a really tight area. You can see he's... He's almost showboating at times. He's a player that's definitely feels that he's at the peak of his powers. I don't think he's ever felt this comfortable no. on a football pitch, Martin Odegaard. And, and, but, but you can never lose sight of the fact that he does as much for the team when we don't have the ball, you know, with, with the graft and the tackling. And, that, and that, we got a glimpse of that with Jesus as well, didn't we? <laughs> he, he sprints back into the right-back spot, wins the ball for the team. He, this is what he, he brings as well as being brilliant. So, yeah. Yeah, Erdegaard's a special player. We were talking about it actually in the studio during the game. So like, who's your player of the season? And it's just an impossible question, I think, at the moment because there are so many candidates. Um, so yeah, let's let's wait on that, I guess. Yeah, um, the fans were singing, "We're going to win the league." <laughs> About 75 minutes in. It sounded to me, because I was watching it on the TV, it sounded to me like not everyone was joining in. I might be wrong about that, because all you could hear were Arsenal fans for most of the game. I mean, some of them came down on the boat, and I'm sure, you know, drink was taken, and they were very uh, lively. <laughs> but but all you could hear were Arsenal fans for the whole game, and they started singing that. Um, James, I mean... I mean, they're enjoying themselves, aren't they, the fans? And why not? And there's no doubt the players believe it. So why not have some fun? Yeah, I agree with that. It, it can't... Uh, I don't see... If you can't sing it now, yeah. five points clear in March, when can you, you know? <laughs> yeah. It, we haven't yet had a chorus of it with the whole stadium at Emirates, have we? That's no. been really noticeable by its absence. No. Um which I think is down to superstition, I do. Um, but James is right. It, it's a very sort of rare song that you're able to sing. Yeah. It's, it's a rare classic. And I think we're getting into the time where we can say it. And look, it, it, if by singing it, it enhances the belief of the players and, and just makes them feel even even taller, then can't be a bad thing. I've always liked We Should Not Be Moved as a, as a, as a terrorist mm. anthem. Old I always school. think... Yeah, I just, heard that yesterday. Yeah, yeah, I just I like it because it it gives you that it gives the players the team that mentality of nah, we are not being we are we are a stubborn bunch and we are gonna we we're, we're not gonna let go of what we what we've got. I, I I'd like to hear both songs sung a little bit more often now. I think it could help. 
All right. Well, uh, this is handbrake <laughs> off the arse. Yeah, it's all right. I could talk about it more, but you know what? Uh, we're enjoying ourselves and that's all good. This is Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Hello there, I'm Ali Maxwell. I'm the host of the Athletic Football Tactics podcast with Michael Cox, Liam Tharm and Mark Kerry. Each week we try and better understand and explain where possible the game that we love and we look at things through a, a tactical and analytical lens. We love a deep dive we love to myth bust and just generally try and tackle football discussion in a depth and in a way that I don't think you find on many other pods. In recent weeks, we have released a two-part series looking at the state of football management. We've also looked at understanding Red Bull football and how well it travels outside of the Red Bull empire. Join us over on the Athletic Football Tactics podcast feed. Just search for the name of the pod wherever you listen to yours. A bit uh, with the handbrake at time. Ian Stone, James McNicholas, and Adrian Clark here on Handbrake Off. Uh, this was Mikel Arteta's 100th win, James, in all competitions. Uh, he brought up his century in 168 games. When you think of how it started and where we are now, it's the win percentage is 59.5%. It's the highest of any Arsenal manager in history. It's a bit early to get carried away when we've had some, you know. <laughs> Herbert Chapman and Arsene Wenger but and I like the way he reacted to it as well he said it's great but we have to continue like that I'm delighted to do that but unfortunately it's not a title so there's still a lot to improve <laughs> yeah well that's very uh, typical of the man who you know is always focused on the next game but I think he is a thoroughly impressive young coach I um, I have thought that to be honest from the beginning Yes, there have been lessons to be learned and mistakes that have been made. But I do think when you look at the sort of big picture here, in world football, how many coaches can be held in the esteem right now that Arteta is? Like if if you know, if you were a, a club and you were thinking like, well, who's out there? Who's the top manager out there? I don't mean to worry any Arsenal fans by going down this uh, train of thought. But I just think in terms of his potential and what he's done at Arsenal... It's astonishing. And I've always been convinced he would have a very good career. I'm more convinced than ever of that being true at this point in time. And I just really hope that a good deal of it can be spent with Arsenal because he's a great fit. Yeah, and he loves the club, doesn't he? Let's be fair. I mean, in his post-match quotes following the win uh, at the weekend, he was talking about the fans. He said, I will be singing with them to support the team. That's for sure. I mean... We've got a fan as a coach who happens to also really know what he's doing. This is a rare combination, Adrian. Yeah, I think it's part of what adheres him to the to the supporters even more. Obviously, the football is the main thing. It's the, it's the main reason why the fans love him so much. But we wanted to like him from the get-go because he's a former Arsenal player. He's won trophies with Arsenal as a player. And, and let's get it right, he left Manchester City a pretty nice job at Manchester City he left it to join us in what was let's let's be right an hour of need so it, it's little wonder that he's held in such such high esteem by, by the fans and um, yeah absolutely absolutely brilliant appointment it's turned out to be because it was a risk it was a huge risk and it it wasn't going brilliantly you know what's amazing about this hundredth win so early 
in his managerial career is that at one point, I think it was around Christmas time 2020 in that god-awful season where none of us could go to games, Sam Allardyce said, yeah, Arsenal are absolutely in a relegation battle. (laughs) It's not that long ago. You know, yeah, here we are. Top spot, 100 wins racked up. Fastest rate of any Arsenal manager to do it. It's it's amazing, really. Uh, James, have we got lucky here or is this just purely just genius or, or not genius, but forward thinking and progressive thinking on, on, on the part of, of the Cronkies and, and all the way down? Because he obviously went into that meeting with them and he sold himself and his, his understanding and knowledge of the club. And it must have been very compelling because they thought about hiring him, didn't they, when they hired Unai Emery, but they went for Emery for the experience, but he obviously made a huge impression on them. But even still, no one could have predicted it would turn out quite like this. No, I think that would have been very bold indeed. But Arsenal were incredibly impressed by Mikel in his first round of interviews when Arsene Wenger left the club. And I think there was serious consideration given to appointing him at that time. Um, obviously, they went with a more experienced route. And you could understand the reasons why Emery's record, especially in terms of getting teams into the Champions League, was very, very strong. They went back for him because they remembered the impression he'd made. And yeah, I think I think the speed of change is probably, is certainly ahead of expectations. I think, you know, every year it feels, over the last couple of seasons, like we've been further ahead than we might have planned to be. You know, last year we were pushing for Champions League and probably should have done it when really we were. it was a year where we'd sort of scheduled to get back into Europe. This year, probably think, right, it's got to be top four. And we're leading a title race. So it's the speed at which he's affected the change that is most impressive. And uh, yeah, I think credit to the club, not just for the appointment, but for also sticking with him in the more uh, difficult patches. Because, you know, that winter of 2020 that Adrian mentioned, there were a lot of fans who were, you know, tearing their hair out if they uh, were lucky enough to have any and saying, you know, where's this going? But... um, yeah, he's turned it around in some style. And I really do think key to it has been that he's always had this vision of where he wants the club to go. And I, another interesting element to it is I sort of was reflecting on the league table last night and thinking about the outstanding season that Arsenal have put together and thinking to myself, well, wow, in a world where Man City aren't Man City, we're champions by miles. But then in a world where Man City aren't Man City and Pep Guardiola never comes to England, <laughs> do we ever have Mikel Arteta? So it's a, it's a little paradox. Yes, I guess Richard Curtis could make some sort of film where Man City <laughs> never never existed, like the Beatles one. Um, but yes, of course. Uh, and, and the Amazon documentary, Adrian, mm-hmm. do you think that was the thing that got the fans in the right place, basically seeing what he was trying to do? Do you think that was really the, the key to, to that connection? I mean, he talks about the connection with the fans a lot. It's obviously it's obvious that he loves the club mm-hmm. and is a fan of the uh, of the club. But that Amazon documentary, I heard a lot of people say, oh, yeah, he seems all right. Mikhail. Keep getting it. Keep getting it. Because obviously we have supporters in the box for the, for the shows that we do each match day. It keeps cropping up in conversation with these supporters. We watch the documentary. We just, we really like the team. We really liked Arteta. We liked, loved the passion that he's got for the job. And it, yeah, it adhered him to, to the supporters, no doubt about that. I think also his, even though it infuriates Keezy 
and one or two others. I think his touchline passion is is another reason. You know, he's a, he's a fighter for the badge, isn't he? Arsene Wenger didn't didn't take any nonsense, did he? Inside that technical area, and the fans really really enjoyed that as well and loved that about him. I think to succeed at Arsenal, you you got to you got to have that that heart and show it a little bit. You got to wear it on your sleeve on occasions, and 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 Arteta definitely definitely does that. Um, but yeah, it's the foresight of the rebuild. It, it was a huge job for a rookie gaffer in his 30s to undertake, but he had that vision and he hasn't deviated from it. Some really horrible, tough decisions to make to you know, force effectively some big names out of the club in order to pave the way for the type of players that he wanted. It, it was not easy uh, for someone. You know, he's a lot younger than I am and I, I'm just full of admiration for for his strength of character, really, to be able to do that uh, and to, yeah, to see it through properly. He never once wavered from what was needed for the team and for the club. And, um, yeah, we're at that point that he had envisioned. It's, it's wonderful to see. And and one more thing. Um, you, We were talking earlier in the pod about the adaptability and the intelligence of the players. Some of those big players that we got rid of very much, I'm thinking particularly Mesut Ozil and Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, they played in their positions and they played the football the way they wanted it to be played and they weren't really prepared, James, it seems to me, to adapt to what Mikel Arteta wanted and they were out the door. Yeah, maybe not prepared or maybe just... They were players who were formed, who were what they were by that point in their careers. Whereas if you bring in guys who are, you know, under 23, you can shape what the, mm. the kind of player they become. And I think yep. that was clearly part of the plan for Arteta. I also think authority, dressing room authority was a big thing for him. I think there was a sense of wanting to kind of clean out any factions or groups within the dressing room or maybe even big voices that might be a challenge to him. And, you know, uh, that was questioned a lot as a strategy. People sort of said, well, what is this guy? Is he just a megalomaniac? What's happening here? Mm. But I think it was about getting a, a group of players that he knew would follow him to the letter. And he's got that now. And, you know, Martin Odegaard is his captain and he's the symbol of that, really. And I think, as Adrian said, he, he deserves massive credit for actually seeing that through. Yeah. he. I remember the first press conference. He was talking about that, the culture change. And it was it could have come across as a little bit arrogant, from from a guy that never managed a team ever in his life. But he was basically saying, I know what it takes because I've been at Manchester City. I know how a culture needs to be within a dressing room to succeed. And I will create that culture. Now, whether people are, on, are with me or not depends. You know, if you want to come on the boat, I don't know, was that the line? Was that when he used that that, that phrase? I think it might have been. Is it non-negotiables? Yeah, non-negotiables, that kind of thing. All those, that rhetoric that he used was strong from someone that had never, ever been a gaffer before. But again, he knew what it took. I think his spell at Manchester City has, has had a big influence on, on his beliefs, no doubt about that. And look, that, that dressing room, even though he's a strict disciplinarian, that dressing room looks very, very happy, doesn't it? <laughs> I think a strict disciplinarian doesn't, doesn't mean that you create a dressing room through fear where everyone's scared of walking on eggshells. It's create. It's driving up standards. That that's what he did, and he didn't. He wasn't just talking about what they did out there on the pitch. He was talking about what they do in life, and and around the training ground, how they deal with people as well, and and all of that has helped to create uh, a successful environment. <laughs> 
Right, let's have a song to end. Um, James, what have you got for us song-wise? Yeah, for my song this week, I've gone for EMF, Unbelievable, because in that first half, Arsenal were very good. No, uh, Unbelievable. Adrian, what are you having? Uh, One of my fave songs, actually. I'm a big Oasis fan. And yeah, the song that really... We've talked a lot about Arteta today, a lot about plans, the master plan. We're all part of Mikel Arteta's master plan. Uh, Say it loud and sing it proud today. And uh, I'm I'm having uh, Sunny Afternoon (laughs) by the Kinks because it felt like it was sunny. I don't know. The sun was shining in my house anyway, watching Arsenal absolutely take apart and hold full of my arm's length like like they were sort of a, a grown-up being holding off a child it was absolutely wonderful to watch so sunny afternoon by the kinks um had a nice feel to it for me That's it for Handbrake Off for this Monday. We've got the sporting return leg on Thursday. One or all of us will be back on Friday. Uh, thanks to James. Thanks to Adrian. Thanks to Abby, our producer. And thank you for listening. I'm Ian Stone. This is Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Mm-hmm.